A historic agreement was reached today at the United Nations Biodiversity Conference in Canada that aims to increase protections for the world's lands and oceans. As William Brangham reports, it comes as the, as the planet continues to experience a staggering decline in biodiversity, driven in large part by human behavior. Judy, roughly 200 countries agreed today to a set of measures that try to protect and restore the vulnerable habitats that are central to life on Earth. Under the agreement, by 2030, world nations have pledged to protect 30% of the land and water considered vital for biodiversity. They'll offer some $200 billion per year to help fund these initiatives, and wealthier nations will pay $30 billion annually to developing nations. Like many of these agreements, these are not legally binding. So how effective will this be in saving species that are at risk and protecting our lands and our waters? For one take on the agreement, I'm joined by Colin O'Meara. He's president and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation. Colin O'Meara, thank you so much for being here. Uh, before we get to this agreement, I wonder if you could help explain the extinction and biodiversity crisis that we're facing and why that matters. And right now, William, there's almost a million species around the globe that we think are at heightened risk of extinction. Um, we're seeing an acceleration of the, of the rapid decline of species populations. There's 70% less wildlife than there was you know, 40 years ago. About one third of all species just in the US alone are at heightened risk of extinction. Um, and like, why we should care is like, you know, it's small species like, you know, pollinators, like, you know, native bees and monarch butterflies, you know, that are down, you know, 50%, 90% in some cases. You know, that's the way we feed ourselves. Um, there's, there's the habitats that, that support these species provide, you know, flood abatement in terms of wetlands or, you know, forests that keep us safe. So, you know, there, it's kind of, it's kind of like the canary in the coal mine. And I, I often say that, you know, when you save wildlife, we save ourselves because our future is so well linked to having healthy wildlife populations across the board. And what are the principal drivers of those losses? I mean, the, the biggest one is really habitat loss. I mean, you know, we've, we have decimated, you know, forests around the globe. You know, we have, we have destroyed and kind of a lot of wetland capacity. You think about our grasslands, you think about kind of the near ocean environment. And so that level of degradation um, is just, it's just, it's a death sentence for a lot of species. And these species are resilient, but they still need a place to roam. So habitat kind of destruction and, and fragmentation is a big one. Another one is disease. Um, we're seeing more and more kind of wildlife diseases. And obviously there's a human touch to that with some of the zoonotic diseases we're seeing around the globe. There's issues with invasive species that you know come into a different from into a different landscape. All of a sudden, don't have natural predators. So all of a sudden, they cause challenges. There's new forms of pollution, and climate change kind of accelerates all of that. So it's kind of the perfect storm for this kind of mass extinction that we're seeing rapidly accelerate. Right, lots of human fingerprints on this crisis as well. So uh, this 200 or so countries come together and say, okay, we are going to pledge going forward that we're going to try to protect 30% of the oceans and the lands. What do you make of this agreement? I mean, look, I mean, it's a huge step, right? To have the nations of the world come together to talk about the importance of biodiversity, you know, during a time of war abroad, during a time of, you know, kind of global economic challenges and a pandemic. And so th this is a big priority, is a huge deal. And at the same time, um, it's not enough, right? I mean, look, I mean, this was a, this is a commitment that a hundred countries had made before, the, before they got to Montreal for the, the meeting. President Biden already signed an executive order in his first couple of weeks in office making this commitment. And now, it's a, now the key for all of us is making sure that those commitments on the page become real progress on the ground. I mean, as we saw with the, the COP and climate agreements, 
money is always a big hang up on these. I mean, we know that there are nations all over the world that depend on the logging and the fishing, both to feed their people, but also which exacerbate and feed this crisis. Do you think that the money that has been pledged so far is up to the task at hand? I mean, it's a huge first step, right? So having a you know, $200 billion commitment you know, annually you know, by 2030 is a huge deal. The 20 to 30 billion that like, some of the more developed economies are, are proposing for some of the lower income communities is, is a big deal, but it's not nearly enough. I mean, studies have shown, you know, we need 700 billion to $880 billion of investment a year. I mean, I'm in DC um, the last couple of weeks trying to advocate for more US spending, which I think would make a big deal. Um, it would help us go a long way. And so, again, it's a huge first step, but those, those commitments have to be real. And we have seen in the past in some of the climate agreements, those financial commitments not really materialize after people leave the, uh, the conference. And so making sure that they're real is going to be you know, really what, what makes or breaks whether this is going to be a successful meeting. Right. I mean, to that exact point, the cold water to throw on this is that the last major UN agreement on biodiversity was by most accounts a, a bit of a bust. And this current agreement, there are no binding mechanisms in here. So I mean, do you worry that there are instances where countries are paying lip service to this but won't actually follow through with substantive action? Yeah, I mean, we, we do have a little bit of a kind of a prisoner's dilemma problem, right? Where like, you know, everyone's kind of assuming somebody else is going to act. And, and I do think that, you know, the commitments are real. I mean, the fact that we had, you know, a lot of you know, senior leaders from different governments come in, but at the same time, you know, we've seen, you know, pledges that have fallen off the plate when leadership has changed in different countries. We've seen that in our country, of course. And so, you know, I really think it's going to be important upon citizens and your, you know, your viewers and NGOs to really make sure these commitments become real because, you know, the track record isn't great. But you know, this is really our last best shot to try to save the full diversity of wildlife around the globe. And if we don't act with kind of urgency, um, we're going to miss that because the greatest ally of extinction at this point is inaction. The United States is just one of two nations that is not a signatory to the UN Biodiversity Convention, which is the, the convention that, that covers this agreement. Do you think that that harms our ability to both cajole other nations to act and our ability to act in and of ourselves? I do, William. I mean, I think, you know, it's key to be at the table. I mean, it's one thing to be an observer. We can do a lot of things that are important in D.C., but at the end of the day, there's nothing like, you know, American leadership, and that comes from being a full-blown participant. So I'm hoping this is something we can sign in the, in the years ahead and be a full-blown participant in, in the future. All right. Colin O'Meara of the National Wildlife Federation, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, William.